Have you ever wondered what happened to the legendary Chuck Norris? I recently saw a health video he made and I was surprised. He's in his 80s and still seems to have his energy and health. He says he's even stronger, has more stamina, and plenty of energy left over for his grandkids since making one simple health change that helps his digestion and nutrition. He says he still feels like he's in his 50s. His wife made the same change and she's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger and she has energy all day. Many of us do not include the fruits, vegetables, and other herbs that increase health and energy in our own diets. Chuck Norris made a special video that explains how he incorporated these things with one simple product. You can watch it by going to mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. It may change your approach to your own health. Once again, that's mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. This is, of course, the podcast that uh, has changed it's changed the game a little bit. It's changed the way that uh, denominations, and the SBC in particular, I think, have approached things uh, in ways that sometimes aren't as detectable. Uh, I just got an encouraging uh, message from someone, and I get messages like this uh, semi-frequently, but someone told me that uh, in a major publishing company, the person... Um, we were someone they were working with to put a book out. And apparently this person uh, had uh, listens to the podcast, uh, in, enjoys um, what, what we talk about is, uh, I think, part of the Southern Baptist Convention. But uh, their eyes have been really opened uh, as to what's been, been taking place over the last few years in that denomination uh, to move the needle to the left, both politically and theologically. And um, it's just one of the things that I think I should probably remind people about every once in a while that some of what we do here, some, some of the things that you promote when you share this podcast around, when you pray, when you support on Patreon, you know, however you do it, just even listening and subscribing and pressing the like and that kind of thing, it does make a difference. And I think uh, you need to hear that every once in a while. I know I do. So I just want to let you know about that uh, before we jump into it. Uh, today's podcast, I'm, I am actually going to just jump into it pretty quick here, but it's uh, going to be about the immigration issue, particularly illegal immigration, and the Southern Baptist Convention's position or positions on this over the last decade and a half, almost two decades. And uh, the reason that I want to do it is because I, I, I've noticed the conversations that have taken place lately uh, about this. And I think there's some people that are coming up in the denomination who are surprised or just they weren't expecting to see what they're seeing with Brent Leatherwood and the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the Southern Baptist Convention support Senator Langford's uh, bill that just got uh, defeated in the Senate. Um, Senator Langford has been censored by his own party, the Republican Party in Oklahoma. And it's not a good bill at all. It's uh, We're not going to get into the details of it, but I think some people were surprised that the Southern Baptists of, of all people are going to come out in favor of this. How can this be? And it makes sense, though, if you think about it, because the last few years uh, of the Biden administration, it's been pretty silent on the immigration front, if you haven't noticed. There's been little articles here and there, but you have not seen nearly what we saw during President Trump's administration. Why is that? How come... During President Trump's campaign in 2016 and then extending to about 2019, 2020, um, we saw so much on this issue coming from evangelicals and Southern Baptists in particular. And then all of a sudden we don't hear much. There's the 2023 resolution that the Southern Baptists pass. And, and, and I, the reason I think they passed it, this is just my own thought on this, is because they have to have every convention at least one resolution on racial matters, right, to, to show that they're they're not racists uh, in the minds of people in the world. That's just, that's my read of it after you know, years of looking at this stuff. And, uh, and so that was, that was the, the issue they decided to go with. But other than that, you can't really find anything. And so, um, you know, except a few articles from the ERLC that are pretty general. So anyway, with that being said, uh, why, why do this podcast? Well, because I want people to know who are in the denomination, who seem surprised by this, that they shouldn't be, that this is actually something that's been going on for quite some time. And I want to explore the origin of it, how it started, how it's going. And, uh, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about what would 
change the narrative in the Southern Baptist Convention. But I think knowing where we're at, if you're a Southern Baptist, I think is important. I think that will help you figure out if, if you still are committed to the denomination and you still want to see change, it'll help you to know what to do if you know what's already been done and how uh, the liberalization on the, on the immigration issue has uh, impacted Southern Baptists. So I have a slideshow uh, pre uh, prepared for you. And if you are a Patreon, I put the link in the info section on uh, YouTube, if you're watching on YouTube, and I believe on Facebook as well. You can click on that link and it will take you to uh, the slideshow if you want to follow along or you want the information later. It's all in detail, cited, so everything's got a primary source so you can see exactly what I'm talking about if you want to check up on anything uh, that I'm going to be saying in this particular podcast. So with that, let's talk about the Southern Baptist Convention. And we'll start here. Um, I think this is the first question people ask. So I'm just going to get it out of the way. Fin is there a financial incentive, John? Is there a reason monetarily that the Southern Baptists seem concerned with um, liberalizing their approach to immigration and uh, promoting illegal immigration? Really? I mean, that's let's get to the bottom line here. That's what's going on. And um, I, I have to answer that very carefully. Uh, yes and no. Or maybe maybe might be the best answer. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. It's a safe assumption, but there's not a lot of publicly available information on this. Now, I'm sure there's tons of information for insiders, but that's one of the things about this Southern Baptist Convention. The insiders generally don't share. <laughs> so uh, here's um, what I've written about this after looking uh, for sources on it. The SEND Network, okay, the SEND Network. This is, this is for Southern. I should probably say this too before I start reading this. This podcast is for Southern Baptists, okay? So when I say SEND Network or ERLC, I'm kind of expecting that you know what I'm talking about. It's also for political conservatives. I'm not going to be debating border policy or immigration on this particular podcast. I just want to inform you about where Southern Baptists have been on it. And assuming that most of the people in the Southern Baptist Convention are politically conservative, they overwhelmingly voted for Donald Trump, uh, you already have a particular stand on this issue, um, as I do. And so I'm not going to be debating that. This isn't for convincing people who are not already on, on this side. So not all the podcasts are like that, but this one is. So the SEND Network offers churches resources, including grants to resettle refugees that they have, and they have at times partnered with World Relief to accomplish this. Now, according to World Relief, their organization receives $925 per migrant, plus an additional 200 that is distributed according to need. Volunteers for their organization teach uh, asylum seekers how to use credit cards, file taxes, and use their EBT card to access resources like food stamps. In 2022, 66% of their annual budget came from public grants. And this ranges from year to year. Some years it's higher. In 2016, I think it was like close to 75%. So they get well over half of their money coming from the government. And this is a, an organization that's a, a ministry, right? I mean, it's World Relief. But the Southern Baptists have a relationship with them on some level. Just recently, um, they send put out um, a statement about the relationship that they have with Send Relief to for Afghan refugees specifically. So does it go into other areas as well? I'm not sure. But I'll tell you this. According to the Department of State, Send Relief operates a refugee processing center in Boston. So something's going on. There's, there's money coming in somehow. Uh, though financial incentives may play a role, uh, something more deeply rooted in ideology seems to have swayed convention leadership, I believe. And so I don't, I'm not satisfied with these explanations. And you'll hear them that it's just bags of cash. That's all it is. It's just a bunch of money. And that's they, the Southern Baptist Convention was bought off just like so many organizations. Uh, and if we could just stop the money, the, the dark money uh, coming from Soros front groups and, and things like that, then, then everything would change. And all, I'm sure that money does talk. I'm sure that, that it has a major influence. I'm sure that there's uh, incentives in, in this area, including the area of immigration. Um, but I, I don't I'm not satisfied fully with an, that as an explanation for everything, but because you do have a significant amount of people in the denomination who are aspiring for leadership. I sat next to them in my seminary classrooms who have bought into this stuff without any financial incentive for them. They're, they're not aware of this stuff. They know what they've been told by their professors and that kind of thing, but they're buying into it ideologically. They're being convinced that this is the right thing to do. They're being uh, taught 
they're finding information that's steering them in this direction. And it's not all money. They don't have money. Some of them don't even plan to work uh, for immigration resettlement um, ministries and that kind of thing. They're, they're, they're not in that world, but they, they're buying into the argument. And I'm not talking about the whole Southern Baptist Convention. Remember, they're, they're conservative for the most part politically. But um, I do know that the people that end up taking the reins of leadership who climb the ladder, they end up buying into this pretty strongly. So, um, so yes, I think financial incentive plays a role, but I don't think that's necessarily everything. Now, I want to share with you a tale of two resolutions because there are two resolutions that if you compare them, I think it offers a, a lot of, uh, it, it shows you like from, from where they came and where they are now, it, the difference between the two places, how they went from a politically conservative organization to an organization that is pushing the needle left on the immigration issue. And so I wanted to, to uh, compare the 2006 resolution on the crisis of illegal immigration and it's two and the 200, 200, 2023 resolution. So 2006, 2023, both of these resolutions are on basically the same topic, but they are very different in how they approach it. Now, there's some things that are the same. Both call for strong borders, but the more recent statement gives government the responsibility to, quote, care for migrants, unquote. So the government now has that responsibility. That wasn't in 2006. Um, it refers to the United States as a nation of migrants, unquote. That's that that's uh, those buzzwords are making their way into the Southern Baptist Convention, and it promotes using immigration to diversify churches. So in order to match revelation and how churches are supposed to look, immigration serves as a mechanism by which that can happen. That wasn't anywhere in the 2006 resolution. Now, the other thing is the term illegal is gone. In 2006, you could call them illegal immigrants. They came here illegally. But now um, that that language is gone as well as calls to restore trust among the citizenry, that the government has betrayed its citizens. They're not enforcing the laws on the border, on immigration. That language is gone in the 2023 resolution. Uh, they, uh, they don't, they're not talking anymore about, quote, punishing employers who knowingly hire illegal immigrants. That was in the 2006 resolution, no longer. And there's a couple other differences as well. The main shift I saw was that um, the... Southern Baptists in 2006 wanted the federal government to enforce existing laws, but today they want the creation of new, more compassionate ones. That's what's going on. So the Southern Baptist Convention has oriented itself. It, it, it was really more for the members of the convention, uh, the consequences that would befall, fall upon them if, um, if the government continued to kick this issue down the road and didn't actually deal with it and, and and failed really ultimately failed to enforce our own laws that was the concern more and it wasn't that they weren't concerned about immigrants who are taken advantage of uh, by employers who wanted to exploit them and that kind of thing that that's in the 2006 resolution but you get this sense of reading it, it, it they want the government to do its job and they're concerned with the members of their organization you don't see that in 2023 it is much more uh, it says yes you know we ought to secure the border but is much more focused on the migrants as victims and that things need to be done for them, including the government has the responsibility now to care for them. So that's a big shift. Now, how did that happen? That's not, you know, a very long time between 2006 and 2023. Uh, now in today's news cycles, maybe it is, but they didn't used to be a very long time. I mean, it's less than 20 years and yet they, they've really done a huge shift on this. And one of the people I think most responsible, of course, is Russell Moore. That shouldn't surprise regular listeners of this podcast. Russell Moore engineered a lot of this um, as the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, the ERLC. And he carried on, uh, it's carried on today, that same work by Brent Leatherwood, who is the current president of the organization. Moore became known outside Southern Baptist circles, mainly because of his major media op-eds and interviews on racial issues, including immigration reform. He had a habit of using opportunities on progressive platforms to critique political conservatives in his own denomination. In a USA Today interview, he compared people who use terms like illegal alien and anchor babies to those who dehumanize unborn children by calling them embryos and fetuses. So th th this is where you start seeing that the pro-life issue gets brought into this, that if you say illegal immigrant or illegal alien, you are now like an, someone who's an abortionist who, who just doesn't see a, a baby for what a ba who a baby is, doesn't see a life there. 
So it's part of being pro-life now. That's, and that's one of the things Russell Moore uh, introduced to the Southern Baptist Convention, or at least made popular. In a New York Times op-ed, he opined that the man on the throne in heaven, so Jesus, is a dark-skinned, Aramaic-speaking foreigner who is probably not at all impressed by chance of make America great again. So this tells you where Russell Moore stands. And he's been this way for a long time. It, it's interesting to me how long it takes people to catch on to this. Even in 20, I don't know, 18, 19, when I really started. Um, I mean, I've been writing actually against Russell Moore for a while. People weren't paying attention to me at that point. But I think my first thing against Russell Moore was like maybe 2014 or 15. And um, it, it took a while for people, even you know, more politically conservative leaders in the denomination to figure this out. Uh, if you go back, this is this is one of the most interesting things. If you go back to 20, I think it's 16, it is. Because in response to the article uh, that Russell Moore wrote, this op-ed in the New York Times, Donald Trump went on Twitter and just said that Russell Moore is a, a nasty guy and he doesn't represent evangelicals. You look on the response to that particular tweet, who was defending Russell Moore? And it's everyone. It is everyone you, you it's just about everyone you consider today to be a conservative in the denomination is defending Russell Moore. And... It, it, it's incredible to me. Um, we're, we're just, I don't know what it is about conservative. Maybe that's another podcast, but why are we so delayed on these matters? And we can't see what's right in front of us sometimes. It's very fascinating to me. But that was um, what Russell Moore brought. Here's a quote from um, 2019, Leading the Way Summit in Washington, uh, put on by the National Immigration Forum. He said, an evangelical Christian who despises immigrants is an evangelical Christian who is self-defeating and self-loathing because most of the body of Christ on earth right now, not to mention heaven, is not white, is not middle class, and is not American, and doesn't speak English. This is the kind of thing Russell Moore did quite a bit, and, and he loved to do this kind of thing. Uh, he did this kind of thing to promote a straw man. You know, who, who's this person who despises illegal immigrants? I don't know who that is. There's someone who despises? That's a pretty strong word. Hates them? I'm sure there's people like that, but wh where? I mean... And, and he's saying evangelical Christians. There's evangelical Christians who despise immigrants. And uh, that, that created this crisis, this problem that needed to be addressed. But it, there wasn't actually a problem like that. It, the, the problem is a difference of agreement on border policy and what a nation is and how to protect a nation and, and that kind of thing. It's not that there's someone who just hates, who just despises immigrants. This is a, a classic leftist tactic. But I mean, what would you expect from Russell Moore? I mean, that's, that's kind of who he is. Now, more influenced a generation of Southern Baptist millennials, my age, to include liberal approaches to immigration under the pro-life banner and taunt them to invoke general image of God or gospel language to justify policy approaches. So you'll hear it like this, that, uh, well, these immigrants are made in God's image, therefore we should give them amnesty. <laughs> they won't say that word. They'll say restitution-based path to citizenship or something. You know, we basically amnesty. We should uh, and they'll do that not just on that issue. They'll do it on other issues as well. They'll do it on other, especially racial issues. Or they'll do it on on uh, even the the abuse, quote unquote, issue that, you know, these these women who claim to be victims, we haven't been able to verify it, but they're made in the image of God. And based on that, we should believe them. Well, what, what does that even mean? It's just a weaponizing the term image of God and to assume that the people who are on one side of a political issue or a social issue don't believe that those women are made in the image of God. That's the accusation. And that's what Moore's done. He's a slanderer and, and that he's being used by the devil. That's, that's the ultimate thing that's going on here. Russell Moore is a slanderer and he does it in the most subversive, cunning ways because he makes these arguments of these straw men. But the assumption is that his opponents don't believe that certain people are made in the image of God or uh, gospel language. So, you know, this is a gospel issue, or if you really believe the gospel, then you really, this is what you need to do. So it's manipulating people because Everyone who's a Christian wants to be for the gospel. So then it uses their most precious teaching, their most precious story uh, to then influence them politically. And that's what's been done ever since. Um, his most controversial work in this area took place in conjunction with the Evangelical Immigration Table and National Immigration Forum, which have received funding in part from George Soros's Open so Societies Foundation. Leaked Open Societies Foundation board meeting notes from 2015 specifically identified Southern Baptists as recipients of funding for refugee advocacy. That's a quote um, from that document. And I have uh, held these documents, hard copies of them in my hands. I am familiar with them. Uh, they There is a, a website, Capstone Report actually put them out, but I've actually seen these firsthand. Uh, Moore also received grant money, according to leaked uh, National Immigration Forum documents, for participating in an immigration reform campaign.
so, and, and it's, that was with Muslims uh, specifically coming to the United States. And so National Immigration Forum is saying, we gave this guy, Russell Moore, a grant, and this is what he did for us, basically. This is, this is the results that we have. Regardless of his effective political maneuvering, things were already going in Moore's direction before he took the reins, though, of the ERLC in 2013. So this relationship actually with the evangelical immigration table started with Richard Land, uh, Russell Moore's predecessor. Of course, Land wasn't there all that long. And um, there were also people like Eric Metaxas in the organization at that point. It wasn't uh, known. I think Eric Metaxas left in, what, 2011, 2012. But, um, but during Moore's time, it was definitely clear that the evangelical immigration table was on the left. And even the picture of Moore here, uh, you can't see it, but he's, um, I believe this is the one where he's talking with, um, actually, maybe it's in the last one. Yeah, you can see it. Michael Ware is standing there. Michael Ware, who was an Obama faith advisor. Now, the shift, uh, I believe, started, though, somewhere around 2010, 2011. The shift that uh, we did not see in 2006, I think that's when it started. Around the time of the Great Commission Resurgence Initiative in the Southern Baptist Convention, language on immigration, which commonly appeared in mainline liberal denominations, started showing up in the SBC. The 2011 resolution on immigration and the gospel referred to Jesus as an immigrant and refugee. It condemned nativism, and it called for a compassionate path to legal status with appropriate restitutionary measures. That's that's, And of course, you know they all say we're not for amnesty and we want the border secured, but that's basically amnesty with more steps. That's what that is. Of course, it also called for things present in the 2006 resolution, such as emphasizing that undocumented immigrants were in violation of the law of the land. So um, it had some of this, but a shift, of course, was beginning at that point. And we've seen that ever since. We saw with the Syrian refugee crisis uh, during the height of that in 2017, Ed Stetzer and Danny Akin joined Tim Keller, Max Lucado, and other evangelical leaders to call on President Trump to support refugees. In an ad sponsored by World Relief and published in the Washington Post, uh, the message was simple. President Trump's temporary moratorium on refugee resettlement pending a proper vetting process was inconsistent with Christ's compassion and Christians who desired to receive many thousands more people should oppose it. So it, World Relief, of course, is one of these organizations that's getting tons of money, as I talked about earlier, from the government for refugee resettlement. And of course, they're not going to want those numbers to decrease. That's their bread and butter. And they put this out there, but guess who signs it? A bunch of Southern Baptists joined to sign this. And if you remember correctly, this moratorium was supposed to be temporary. This was The, the understanding was, we're not vetting these people. We don't know who's coming in. We need a better way to do this. And until we can figure that out, we got to stop. That's what it was. And people uh, thought at the time, I mean, it was just like, uh, it, it was, you know, let's just react without thinking through what's going on, that the, all these poor refugees, they're not... Uh, they need to escape the countries that they're in and they need to come to the United States and we're prohibiting them and it's not compassionate, but it's not compassionate to your own citizenry when you're not even vetting them. And that was the problem. And it didn't last forever. I think it lasted, what, seven months, something like that. Uh, and then they, uh, there was a process put in place by the Trump administration to actually properly vet who was coming. So there were a lot of people, I think, even with good intentions who signed these kinds of things but just did not do their homework. And they tr they followed the leader. They just trusted, well, the evangelical leaders that I'm friends with are signing it. And so I think it's probably fine. And it wasn't. And that's one of the mistakes we can never make again, unfortunately. We probably just need to do our homework on things or else keep our mouth shut and not engage in it uh, when there's issues more complicated than, um, than we have the bandwidth for. Well, then there was the DACA issue. The DACA issue. Now, um, some of you might remember Dreamers, the, the Dream Act, which did failed to pass Congress. Uh, the Obama administration decided to step in and create an executive order uh, referred to as DACA. And later in 2017, Russell Moore, this was during Trump's administration, anticipated that that particular program started by President Obama was going to end. And that program allows certain migrants brought to the United States by their parents to remain. It was migrants who were under uh, 16, I believe, um, I'm trying to remember the year, I think it was before 2010 or something. Uh, but the people at the time that Russell Moore is advocating for this, some of them could be in their thirties, right? These aren't necessarily, they're not children, which is how they always portray this is like these little children. How dare you? Um, they're not all children. And, um, it's even many of them who came, um, so for some of them up until their teenage years, they spent their lives in a foreign place 
it's always presented as they, they've always just grown up in the United States. That's not even a hundred percent true, but, but that's how, that's how it's, it's, it's presented. And you had, um, uh, Donald Trump not wanting to renew this. And the Southern Baptists then, uh, again, came together. Now this was actually a meeting Russell Moore called, and he had 50 evangelical leaders, uh, including though, uh, past Southern Baptist presidents. He had, uh, four of them. And they endorsed the underlying policy aim of DACA and urged Congress to provide a pathway to permanent legal status and or citizenship. So amnesty with steps. Uh, World Relief again sponsored a message to President Trump urging him to renew DACA and allow 700,000 illegal migrant dreamers to stay in the country. Additional Southern Baptists at the time signed, including Beth Moore, Karen Swallow Pryor and Micah Fries. And there's many more. I'm just not listing all of them. In an interview for the left-wing National Immigration Forum, Walter Strickland from the Southern, uh, Southern Southeastern Baptist uh, Evangelical Seminary, uh, where I went, and Travis Wusso from the ERLC, and Jose Ocampo, a DACA recipient on staff at Hickory Grove Baptist Church, discussed their support for DACA. Now, I'm going to play for you a clip here. I want to. Th there's a reason that I went out of my way to highlight this because there's so many things I could talk about and highlight, but I really want you. Uh, to hear this particular clip. This is, again, uh, this is a, a, a group partially funded by George Soros uh, or, or Open Societies, um, National Immigration Forum. And this is Walter Strickland from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, along with two other Southern Baptists. And here's what they had to say on this particular uh, radio. I think it was a radio broadcast. I'm grateful to be on the call this morning to voice my concern for the nearly 800,000 immigrants who find themselves in a place of uncertainty and insecurity as a result of action that is not their own. Followers of Jesus are called to do justly and love mercy. This means that standing on the side of dreamers is the job of Christians who are looking to do justice. Good morning, my name is Walter Strickland, uh, first vice president of the Southern Baptist Convention, professor of theology and associate vice president for King University at Southeastern Seminary. I'm here in Washington, D.C. today to be the voice on uh, for those who are voiceless and today we're speaking on behalf of dreamers uh, we're here in DC to talk to uh, staffers of the vice president of the United States and also uh, those in Congress to, to, to see if they will be willing to pass a permanent solution for dreamers that's timely uh, so that they so that those people who are brought here to this country as children who have called America their home for the majority of their lives, if not almost all their lives, who know no other place is home to, to have a legal pathway towards citizenship. And so there's about 800,000 people who are, who are currently in the DACA program that we're advocating for. And there's another, you know, several million or a million and a half plus who are dreamers who were here. Um, NDC for speaking on behalf of, and we're hoping to do uh, what the Bible calls us to do, which is to uphold the rule of law, but at the same time have a compassionate uh, view of humanity and human flourishing. And so we're going to call upon our, our legislators today to make a legal pathway for dreamers to become citizens. And our final speaker today is Jose Ocampo, who is an evangelical Christian, a DACA recipient, and a student at Wingate University in North Carolina. Jose, please go ahead. Good morning. Uh, first of all, I just want to say I'm grateful for uh, being here and uh, giving the opportunity to have a platform to be a voice for myself and for other dreamers in the country. I'm extremely grateful for DACA. It, it has changed my life. I'm um, Jose, do you belong to a church or a faith community? Yes, ma'am. I go to Hickory Grove Baptist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And do folks know about your status? Yes. Um, I do attend the Latin campus um, of Hickory Grove, and my pastor, the, the main pastor there, is aware. He, he's actually, because of him, I've had the opportunity to, to come here. From my perspective as a pastor at Hickory Grove here in Charlotte, with a community uh, that is filled with guys like Jose, uh, dreamers, that are seeking to invest their lives, not just in the church, but in the community. It makes perfect sense, not just for Jose, but for me. It makes perfect sense to have a legislative solution to dreamers. So we can have them as a part of not just our community, but as a part of the United States of America. Um, and I'm very open about my situation uh, because I do feel that we need to voice who we are. In order to change, we have to voice who we are. So. Um, 
my church knows, and they've been extremely supportive. They've always looked out for me. If any opportunities come, they 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 let me know. Especially um, somebody who's been my mentor, which is a pastor's son, has always looked out for me. Especially his wife. Um, they they always try to find solutions and help me to to be able to continue to achieve my goals and my dreams. So I. I I love my church. I love my community. They've been extremely supportive, and they've helped me out tremendously. Well, uh, we have uh, his servant saying that this is hard to listen to, seeing where we are now, and I agree it is hard, uh, seeing where, where things have led. Now, the reason I wanted to play for you that clip specifically is because Clint Presley, who's the pastor of the individual who's an illegal migrant that they've hired at their church, who's still working there, is running for president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, he is, from my understanding, portraying himself as conservative and concerned about the leftward drift and all that kind of thing. But yet, this is what he was saying. Um, now, you could, you could make the argument, well, that was, you know, that was like six, seven years ago. Does he still believe that? Well, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, the guy's still on staff. I don't know what his status is. But th this, is, um, this is someone who was pushing the needle left, who was helping push the needle left in the denomination. And, uh, and I think one of the, one of the things I don't want to mean to, uh, discourage people too much about this, who want to retake the SBC, but you got to be careful of this. There are a lot of people in the Southern Baptist convention who are noticing that there's been a wind change. Biden's pushed the needle so far. And because Biden has pushed the needle so far, there's an opportunity now to, uh, cash in on those who are upset about how far Biden has pushed it. I don't know if anyone caught last night. Biden is not in his right mind. I mean, it's very it's very easy to be against Biden <laughs> right now. And and so this is a, a, a something for their conservative audience in their denomination. This is something that um, they have to be careful if they push the needle too far left then you know, you know what happens. And so I did an episode. Um, uh, what was it? Maybe two or three weeks ago on those who went woke and now want to kind of crawl back and say, we're against that. We're conservative or, or you know, we're, we're concerned about that. And it's very easy to do that after the casualties have been picked off after the, the, the battle, you know, the battle's been fought, people are dead. And then you go on the battlefield and say, you know, I don't like what the other side did. That, that's how it feels a little bit to some people who are in the trenches at that time. And one of the things I said was, you know, don't be you, you can't be 100 percent cynical on this. There are people who legitimately change their mind, but it takes time to test that. It takes time. It takes years sometimes to test that. And, and then the requirement is that that person's got to contradict. They got to own up to what they said. They got to contradict it and say, I don't believe that. Uh, one of the reasons I didn't vote for Trump in 2016 uh, was that I was like, he he's like been a conservative for what, five seconds? Like or he says he is. Um, I don't know what this guy, I don't trust him. I don't know. And then it took four years for me to see, okay, you know, some of the things he said he was going to do, he actually tried to do them. And that built up a trust and I'm not saying Trump's perfect at all, but it built up a trust that wasn't there before. And that's just how we should be on everything. Right. And, um, and, and not bashing anyone who saw in 2016 that he was a better choice or whatever. I get that. So, um, uh, I didn't want to take a, a, a rabbit trail on Trump, but, uh, it's the same way with leadership in the Southern Baptist Convention. You got to show me where has Clint Presley owned up to this and said, you know, I don't agree with that anymore. Right. That's the kind of thing. And of course, I'm speaking, I'm preaching to the choir. This is for conservatives, political conservatives, and theological conservatives. This is I'm not arguing uh, against or for his point right now. I'm just saying, you know, th th for people who already um, have come to the conclusions that many of us have come to on immigration, Clint Presley was on the opposite side of that. And um, and so I just want you to know that. And, and he's, um, I can't remember who all is running for a convention president. I know there's a guy who's even to the, to, to the left of Clint Presley quite a bit, uh, from what I understand. And so, uh, I, I'm just saying, be careful of this. You, you gotta make sure that the people who say they're conservative and want to fight that, that that's really is where they've been consistently. Uh, or at least where they haven't been there that they've owned up to it. And they're, they're showing now fruits of, uh, different fruit. Keybone. Keybone is the other. Oh, yes. Yes. T. James Boone just told me Keybone uh, is the other guy. And I don't know enough about him, but uh, I understand he's very far uh, to the left. Uh, okay. So um, let's keep going, though, with because uh, we got more to talk about here. So so that was uh, the DACA issue and how Southern Baptists responded to that. And then you had restitution-based immigration reform in 2019. 
denominational leaders, including Danny Aiken. If you notice, Danny Aiken's name comes up a lot with this stuff. Uh, Brent Leatherwood, Bart Barber, and Dean Insera all signed an evangelical call for restitution-based immigration reform published by the Evangelical Immigration Table. The statement portrayed deportation as unjust. It insinuated the United States government was to blame for separating families, right? So it's not... Uh, it's not that the, <laughs> the the coyotes or or the families themselves are making unwise decisions to that that put their families in jeopardy here. It's that the United States government, in order to vet and make sure and, and ensure that these children are not being smuggled in for things like sex slavery, they're separating the families. Yeah, okay, uh, and supported a restitution-based pathway to legal permanent residency for illegal migrants. So uh, again, amnesty with steps. For the next four years during Joe Biden's presidency, with the exception of the 2023 resolution, there was no significant and specific action taken on immigration issues, despite the fact that illegal migrants poured across the southern border at record numbers. Now, think about this. If you have an ethics arm for your denomination, you would expect, hey, that's a big issue. That's actually a, a huge issue right now. We've had more people pouring across the southern border. Um, it's not sustainable. Our cities are changing. I see this firsthand uh, in places I've been to. And you know, this is all happening and you're not saying anything. You said a lot during Trump's presidency against what he was doing, but now where's the concern? Crickets, right? And so um, so, so they were at the time in 2019, of course, so they wanted this, this amnesty with steps. Uh, every so often, uh, the URLC though, would produce articles and podcasts reinforcing general Southern Baptist views on immigration, but they did not support states like Texas which desperately attempted to address the problem when the Biden administration would not just a few weeks ago. They don't support that. They're not getting behind them, right? Um, so that's where that brings us to where we are today. And that brings us where uh, to where we are on uh, Senator Lankford's uh, bill. And I thought I had a slide for that. And now I'm looking for it. And I don't know if I uh, don't know if I do actually have a slide for it. That might have been it. So uh, I'll, I'll just... Um, I suppose, uh, end with that though. I wrote some, some notes down on this. Um, so you have about two seconds ago. So this month, this is the recent news, right? This is why I'm doing this podcast now in a way. Um, you have a bill that is proposed by Senator Langford and all of a sudden Brent Leatherwood and the Euro LLC take this strong, significant stand, right? They're going to champion this bill that, that got defeated. And the bill would essentially require the Secretary of Homeland Security to exercise emergency authority in order to respond to the border crisis if over 35,000 illegal migrants crossed a week. Okay, so so under that number, I guess you don't have to. It's you don't have to act. I guess. Yet it would prohibit this authority if the weekly crossings were under 24,000. So you have a minimum number here of 24,000 that are going to just be ensured that they can come in. I guess. So it's it's going. They're going to come in just at a different rate. Um, and of course, the Department of Homeland Security already possesses this ability to secure the border through existing law, but refuses to. So predictably, the law did not pass. And the Republican Party of Oklahoma censored Senator Langford for his role in attempting to get a bill through that was out, so out of step with conservatives in the state. A similar divide, though, exists between Southern Baptists and their own leaders. OK, so you have Senator Langford, who is a Republican senator in Oklahoma, censored by his party because he's out of step with them. The same thing's happening with people like Brent Leatherwood. He's out of step with his people in his denomination. What's going to happen? Are they? Are, is the denomination capable of censoring him? Now, I, I know they don't have censoring, but you know, showing up and actually voting overwhelmingly for a different candidate for president who will put people on the committee that not of nominations that will then put people on these various entity committees, uh, trustee boards, in order to change the denomination. That's the question. And that's been the question since I've gotten involved in this. And I've unfortunately, I've only pretty much seen defeat after defeat with slight little things that maybe you could say that might have been a victory. And usually they're rear guard actions. It's pretty much been defeat after defeat. Can something change this year? I don't know. But that's what would have to happen. Something similar to what the people of Oklahoma have done to Senator Lankford. That, that's the starting point. And you know, I, I wanted to end this with a, a quote, this whole presentation that, um, you know, the Southern Baptists are funding these institutions that do not share their understanding of scripture, but they also don't sometimes even under, uh, share their understanding of the gospel. That's what it appears. And I don't know how to make more sense of this. Um, I, I took a, tw a tweet. This was from a few years ago, and I probably could have taken a number of quotes that are similar. But Danny Aiken said once that the refugee and immigration crisis is not a national issue, but a gospel issue. 
And that kind of careless language gives the impression that you have a strong majority of leaders in the denomination, at least those who disagree or fail to do anything about it, uh, who push the needle left because they think it's a gospel imperative of some kind. It's part of their duty as a Christian. It's part of the gospel. It's part of the central teaching of the Christian faith. And if this is true, then that means that adopting a liberal framework on immigration is serious business because it's not even a political issue anymore. It's, it's a cardinal issue of the faith. If that's true, then you have leadership that are so far apart from you, not just politically, but spiritually. And that should be, I think, a major concern. So um, those are my thoughts on the Southern Baptist Convention, where it's gone in the immigration. I've taken you from uh, 2006, when it was still conservative on these issues, to the present day, and just given you a, uh, a, a whole um, uh, file, that's what my wife calls them, a whole file on how we got from A to B. And hopefully that helps some people in the denomination who do want to steer it in a conservative direction. How does this stuff happen? It doesn't happen all at once. It happens in increments over time. So uh, <laughs> there's, oh, I actually didn't plan to click on that, but now that I clicked on it, C.W. Johnson uh, Jr., I guess says it is an invasion. We have all, we have a responsibility to protect our borders for our families. It is the law. Many people are hurting, uh, being hurt from this invasion, both immigrant and fellow citizens. I agree. Um, and then uh, Kat says, I don't know how to make sense of this. John Harris quoting me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some things I don't, I can try. Uh, I, I think I made, made some sense of, of what's happened. Like here's at least the story of how it's played out. I don't know how to make sense of the conservatives as much. I still, this still baffles me. And I still, when people ask me and I'll come up with an explanation that, you know, it satisfies me the most, but it, it never completely satisfies me why conservatives are often so lame. Like you have leftists who are able to fight for their stuff and conservatives generally just aren't. I think there's a new generation arising that that's not like that, to be honest. I think that especially the Zoomer generation, there's going to be some people in that that are not as willing to, uh, to, 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 to appeal to the gentlemanly code and just let, let the left walk all over you. Seth Evans says, this is clearly uh, just critical theory in the Southern Baptist Convention. The illegal alien is now a victimized and oppressed class. Jesse Davis says, Russell Moore polluted the SBC, then fled the scene of the crime. Uh, Fuzzfire says, as a Christian and Southern Baptist, is there a short, concise book that shows the current problems of the Southern Baptist Convention? I'm not aware of one. Uh, I think Megan Basham's coming out with a book that will touch on some of this. Um, I have something more extensive coming out, though, uh, before the convention this year. I, I meant to actually do it last year, believe it or not, and it just, I couldn't. And uh, But I do have something that I've been producing over time, little by little, that will be an explainer for kind of, and I have a thesis. I think I know where it started. I gave you a clue, actually, in this video, but I think a whole host of issues started around the same time. Uh, and then T. James Boone says, thanks for addressing this stuff, John. I appreciate shi you shining a light on things that corrupt actors in the SBC and elsewhere uh, that they try to keep in the dark. So um, any more comments or questions for me, uh, you can uh, go to uh, johnharrispodcast.com and there's ways to contact me there. Uh, you, my social media links are there. And if you want to support the podcast, uh, there are options there to support the podcast as well. As always, I appreciate everyone's uh, support. And um, I just, uh, we, we should all pray, actually. I, I just pray and I hope we all do that. The, the people in these denominations uh, will wake up. The people who are true believers, who really see what's happening, that their eyes will be open if they don't see, and that they would have the courage to truly stand and to stand for the right things. Um, that's just not what we have. And, and, and I think, you know, on this one, I, I didn't want to get too deep into the weeds on the policy stuff. I've talked about it before a little bit, but I'm thinking about just loving your own, loving your own family, loving your own people. Um, th this is such a fundamental issue in my mind, you know, because it, it, it does come back to loving your neighbor in this sense. Like, how is that applied? It's the order of Mares that Augustine wrote about. It's, it's about proximity and um, how close people are to you. Those those are the people you have a responsibility to love. And when you have people that seem to want to love everyone, but the ones in their own backyard, the ones they have a responsibility toward, they want to take resources from them that they need and give it, it, it that that's where I, I have a hard time. That's why I'm, you know, he who doesn't provide for his own household, same principle uh, at play in this. And so, um, 
Yeah, I mean that that's to, to me if they're if you're not willing to provide for your own, if you're not willing to protect your own, then it's just a wisdom issue. You you shouldn't be in leadership over organizations where you're going to be called to protect. <laughs> Especially if you're a shepherd, right? Or you're a pastor or you're exact exercising authority over pastors and shaping what pastors do, you should be pretty aware of where wolves are and um and and so I'm I'm not saying it's you know there there's uh a spiritual, like it's heretics coming across the border to convince us of things. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, though, there's a parallel here. There, there's a, um, if you're not willing to protect in one area, then why would you be willing to protect in another? And it's the same principle for leadership qualifications in scripture. You got to be able to uh, manage your own household well. So those are just some uh, final thoughts for you. Um, there are a few questions here. Okay. I just want to briefly get to these. Nate Werner said, Hey, John, do you still keep up with woke teaching at Liberty? When people send me stuff um, and, and there's stuff like here and there, people will send me and I'm like, well, I mean, it's a little big place that happens. Uh, as far as I know, they fared better than a lot of other institutions, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's going on there in certain quarters. Um, Seth Evans uh, says, why does love your neighbor now equal any socialistic welfare program? Also first time live viewer and you read my comments. So awesome. <laughs> I read two of your comments now. Um, uh, C.W. Johnson says, uh, I think I read one of his comments. So this is the second one. How is the invasion hurting you? Stealing jobs that Americans went to college so they wouldn't have to work. Tone, tone down. I think it's tone down. Tone down the rhetoric and welcome the chance to share the gospel. Well, I, I mean, I think that we should share the gospel, obviously, with uh, everyone, um, including those who come across the border. And if you're not a government official and you don't have any authority to enforce any of the existing laws, then, uh, you know, as a, as a church member, of course, you, you, um, you minister those things. We minister to sinners of all, all varieties, whether they've broken that law or other laws. Um, but um, that doesn't change, that, that, that shouldn't, this is one of the things I've seen over and over is uh, the people who are leftists in these denominations want to try to derail people from being concerned about the actual policy issues here, uh, the rise in crime, the unsustainability economically, uh, of the welfare state that's emerged from this and the degree of dependency. It's not even good for the people who are coming here in every case uh, because they are developing this welfare, generational welfare mentality. Um, it, it drives wages down. I mean, there's a whole bunch of economic consequences uh, to, to all of this. And in order to sort of state and there's an identity thing too i i maybe touched on that a little bit earlier but there's there's a national identity thing going on that it, you weaken uh, people's shared shared loves and what they have in common and so you don't actually you that neighborly feeling that or the neighborly uh outlook that we ought to have is weakened significantly which makes us susceptible to uh external um threats and that kind of thing uh, and, and of course, you know, I was just, I, I'll just say personally, I was just in Los Angeles for my grandfather's uh, funeral. And I, you know, I lived there for a little bit. I was born there and, um, you know, I, I wish I had it. Maybe I could actually pull it up here. Uh, cause I know I had, there was a billboard that I saw <laughs> when I was there and I, I want to pull it up cause I took a picture of it. And for those, it, it's hard for people who aren't in border States to understand really what's going on there. It's, it's horrible. It is so unsustainable. Um, the medical care alone, what it's done to the hospitals is incredibly detrimental. And I, I think actually both, I, I know this is maybe a little for people in my family listening, a little hard to hear, but I think both my grandfathers would probably be alive right now if there was not an illegal immigration issue. And I'm serious about it. They both lived in a sanctuary city and that did not do them. And, and I could get into the specifics, but I don't really want to. Let me, let me show you though. This is a, um, the, here's a, a billboard that I saw. Uh, while I was there. And it's in Spanish, of course. But uh, the English translation of this, oh, in-game HUD unavailable. I don't know what that means. Okay. Um, the English translation is papers in cases allegedly impossible. Lawyerangel.com. And guess what's behind there? What kind of papers? Social security, permanent residency. We can get you papers. We're lawyers who can get you papers. Uh, and it's in Spanish. Of course, everything's in Spanish now in the area that my grandparents lived. And um, it, it's it's, a, it's targeting illegal migrants. It's blatantly targeting them, saying, we will get you social security cards. And people outside of those areas say, that's not happening. It's happening, guys. And they are voting. It's it's totally happening because I because <laughs> my family's from there and I have friends there and they all see it. And it's common knowledge. So 
Um, yes, it is hurting us in, in cultural ways as well. And so I think the leftists, though, they often want to derail that concern to say, well, you should just be sharing the gospel with them. Just put your efforts towards that. The two aren't in conflict. I can share the gospel. Well, I can't. I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> but someone who does, you can share the gospel. And you can also push for policies, uh, or at least the enforcement of policies that already exist, uh, that will benefit your own. The people who are citizens of the United States, uh, who have a claim, to, I should say this, who have a claim to the citizenship of the United States. In other words, they've invested in, in um, uh, over the course, uh, many, many of them uh, over the course of generations, they followed the process the right way. And they're just going to be cut in line now because of uh, illegal migrants. It's not right. Um, all right. So I, that's my, my high horse. I guess I'm done with that. Uh, we got, um, <laughs> oh, man, this is such a different, I can't get into this stuff. John, how long can a believer born again Christian be backslid in many years? Uh, that's, that's not a topic for this conversation. Uh, I, I don't want to put a time limit on it necessarily. I, I, I don't, because I don't see one in scripture. I don't see time limits on those kinds of things. Uh, I see um, first John, you know, talks about a life pattern that you have. If you have a life pattern that doesn't match up to living in godliness, then you're, you don't have fruit. And so you're not of, and it's not that that's the basis of your salvation. It's just that you don't have evidence that you're a, a truly a saved individual. So, um, so yeah, I mean, if, if I saw someone over the course of years living in sin and they're confronted about it and that's where Matthew 18 comes in, right? If they went through a process of they've been confronted and they still continue to sin, uh, unapologetically, then yeah, you have to treat them as if they're not believers. Um, okay, I, I'm uh, last question. Sorry, uh, what would make someone believe that the church in America can convert these illegals when our literal neighbors down the street reject Christ? Convert Americans first, then we can talk about illegals. Well, I mean, we should work on converting uh, everyone who's in our proximity, and that might mean people who are illegal migrants who have moved in down the street. Right? We we should. Uh, that should be a concern of ours, but, um, it's, I, I guess I'm just repeating what I said earlier. It's, it's not that that takes away the concern of the damage that this does to the people that we should have more of an affinity toward, uh, or I should say responsibility. We have more responsibility toward. Okay. Um, <laughs> this CW Johnson is a, uh, is has some interesting thoughts on some of this uh, from the left. Yes, American citizens also do commit crimes, uh, obviously. No one's disputing that. Um, but they are supposed to be here. <laughs> it's different when you have people who are not supposed to be here committing crimes. That's uh, th th Those are crimes that should not have been committed. That's the point. All right, well, that's the end of the podcast. Uh, God bless everyone. More coming. Bye now. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.